It's show 79 of the Rim Pro Report. Today, Dale Mitchell of DataSite in Seattle. This episode of the Rim Pro Report is exclusively sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. RM Bridge from O'Neill is designed to give records management software companies an integrated real-time interface by which to automate and standardize the access and management of physical records stored in off-site record centers using O'Neill's RS SQL product suite. As always, O'Neill continues to power new advances and innovations in the RIM field that will serve you. And if you're interested, you can learn more about it all at O'NeillSoft.com. I think it's time to crank up the old RIM Pro Report. Here we go. Welcome to the RIM, RIM, RIM Pro Report, the one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. Let's just end. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Wow, can you believe it? March 1st is already here. Winter is starting to fade and spring is looming on the horizon. I trust that the Ides of March are not something that you're going to be worried about. Here in San Diego, I'm starting to think I might be able to get my scooter back out on the road and ride the historic coast highway between here, which is around Torrey Pines and Encinitas, without the excessive amounts of clothing that I typically would have to wear during the winter to keep me warm. Hey, thanks for being here today. I'm glad you're here, and I appreciate your presence. Today, I'm going to chat with Dale Mitchell. Dale is the co-owner and CFO of DataSite in Seattle. I've known Dale a long time, and I think you'll like his perspective. As an accountant and an owner of a business, CFO, thought process, he brings really valuable financial perspective and a way of looking at things that I think you'll find interesting. So I'm going to talk to him about that shortly. But before we do, a quick catch-up on the industry news. Iron Mountain appointed Jack Fair as Chief Security Officer. Fair joins Iron Mountain from State Street Global Advisors, where he worked as a Senior VP and Head of Operational Risk Management and Continuity Planning. Prior to State Street, he held numerous positions at Fidelity Investments, including Chief Security Officer. Fair began his career as an accountant for PricewaterhouseCoopers and was a special agent for the FBI. Iron Mountain also announced fourth quarter numbers earlier this week. While there was a small increase in year-over-year revenues of only 1.8%, storage revenue, which is 56.7% of revenues, climbed 3.8%. Service revenues, however, dipped 0.8% year-over-year. Gross profit fell 2% year-over-year, and gross margin for the quarter fell almost 2% as well. Iron Mountain also expects a 32% year-over-year decline in paper prices to affect their total revenue by $45 million. And if you want to learn more about that, you can check out all of their press release stuff and the stuff in the financial circuit. Looks like Pete Pencel, current GM and president of AllSource, has acquired full ownership of the company. So congrats to Pete and to Craig Bush on the sale. 
Looks like CentOS and ScanMD have formed an official alliance. We've had Jay Morton on the show from Scan Ventures, and I loved his technology of being able to create scan PDFs that look and feel just like a standard medical chart. So congratulations to both parties on that alliance. In more partnership, looks like Shreddit and PacMail centers have announced a partnership to include shredding services in PacMail's 450 stores in four different countries. So more shredding opportunities, more places for people to get shredding done, and it looks like Shreddit and PacMail have made an alliance in that regard. I don't know of any acquisitions this week to tell you if anything else comes up and you know of anything that I should be aware of to pass on to you. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Hey, I'm going to get Dale on the line right now. Hang on a second. Dale Mitchell is the co-owner of a data site in Seattle, and he's also the CFO for the company. Dale, you on the line? Yes, I am, Tom. Hey, I'm excited to chat with you today. So, data site is well known in the industry uh, and uh, has had a lot of play. Uh, you guys have been uh, around in the business a long time, but if somebody doesn't know who you are, give us a little bit about how you guys got into the business in the first place. Okay. We got into the business back in 1993. So it's a short time for some of the prison members there, but it's a long time for us. Yeah. Dave and I started the company. We worked for a little company called SureGuard, and they started a little division we uh, fell in love with. And uh, we pulled uh, the plug three years later and started DataSite and competed against them. Since then, they've gone away, which a lot of our companies have. Yeah. And about nine years later, we uh, had a very good friend, Doug Jordan, he worked for Beacons Records. He was the president of Beacons Records, and we uh, asked him to come on board to start the record side of the business. We initially started out as a tape-only business, and that is my pure love, is the tape side. We grew the tape side, Dave and I, and uh, it made it into one of the larger tape, data tape uh, facilities in uh, America here, and our stepping into the record side needed the expertise of Doug. So that's what we did. Going back, you and Dave Herrick, and for those, you said Dave, but Dave Herrick is pretty well known. He's actually been on the show as well. He was the president of PRISM a couple of years ago, I think yeah. it was. But back in the day, you left SureGuard and started a tape-only vault is what you started. Yes. We started from scratch. Our first customer was a once-a-month customer, and it took us about three months to get this customer. It was a long period of time before we got it going. So once that started to roll, it took us probably about three years to say we are profitable and we're on our way. Wow. And then from that point on, we rode the, uh, the dot-com wave into the uh, early uh, 2000s and the dot-com bust. <laughs> <laughs> and that was quite interesting. Boy, we had a lot of customers that we hated to say goodbye to, but they're gone. Because Seattle was such a huge part of that whole dot-com thing. So that must have been a really interesting time to be involved, especially in the tech scene in Seattle. Oh, yes. We had Microsoft uh, going great guns, and it spawned a ton of startups. Huh. All of these startups, we'd look at the, the uh, Puget Sound Business Journal, and there would be a whole list of startups coming, going public. We would jump in, give them a call, and they set up you know, that day they were a three-man person, and they, you know, a couple of weeks later they were six men 
and a couple of weeks later they were growing. So this whole industry up here was going crazy. Yeah. Uh, we had Amazon.com back in those days. It was a fun time. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Along the way, you said Doug came along, who was another part of this. So you decided, what was the decision to move from a tape-only place into a box business? Well, that's the part that always got me upset, because we were getting quite large in the tape business. Yeah. And we would go to Prism meetings, and they would say, how many boxes do you have? Well, we don't have any boxes, but we're big in tape. And it's like nobody really noticed us. We were saying, wait a minute here. Uh, we are a player in this game. Let our voice be heard. But in, in the prism, a lot of people put boxes first. Right. So Dave and I sat and said, you know, we've got to make this, this thing happen. And we looked at around a good friend of us, ours, like, and I talked about Doug Jordan, had known us for a long time. He ran Beacons. We gave him a call, sat down at lunch, and said, would you do it? And Doug's largely the reason our box record has grown so rapidly because he brought in the expertise that we really didn't have at that time. Right. And really the, the renewed effort. We had put in nine years of tape business, and you do get worn out in this game. Doug came in with just a fresh outlook and a, and a fresh way of looking at things. Yeah. And so the the box business continued to grow, and at some point then you, you sort of jumped fairly significantly into the shredding business as well. Oh, and that's, a, that's another story, because when he went out and said, let's do shredding, Dave and Doug came and said, look, at this is where we've got to go. I was saying, you know what, the numbers don't pan out on this thing. It's expensive to get the shred truck, and they did a bully pulpit in it and said, we're doing it. And lo and behold, as everybody knows, shredding is an incredible part of the three-legged stool that data site has. And so you bought equipment, right? You, you're you running mobile stock as opposed to plant. That's correct. Okay. Our uh, mobile truck, we run it as if it's a plant here because largely a lot of uh, the boxes that come off the shelf to be destroyed, just run it out to the shred truck. Right. It gets destroyed right here. Okay. Uh, you guys just recently built a brand new facility, brand new Media Vault, and there's rumors abounding that yours is the largest, and then some other people mid mid country think theirs is the largest. But tell me a little bit about the building and creating a brand new facility because you came from two, right? You came from two separate ones. Yes. Well, we're talking about two things. We're talking about the new vault that we built. We bought a uh, Firelock vault from Hugh. Everybody knows Hugh, and we finally bit the bullet, and we have the state-of-the-art vault facility. And it's 40 by 60, so it puts a lot of square foot on the floor. And I know the Midwest company doesn't like to hear it, but I think we are the biggest wow. uh, vault there is. But this thing is, is it's a store of 200,000 tapes and containers. We needed a, a pretty big vault. So we went great guns there. At the same time, we took our facility in North Seattle and consolidated it down here, and so we have everything under one roof. And this is the first time that we've all been under one roof, and it is great. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. We but have 80,000 square feet of space. Wow. That's a nice facility, but coming back to your CFO side of the equation, the yeah. decision to move into new facility and to build a new vault comes with some considerable CFO thinking time and preparation. What in your head uh, got you to the point where you felt like you could make that switch, fiscally speaking? That's a good point, because I think as you grow, 
you start out with no boxes. You got to have a small facility. Right. Then as you grow, you get a little bit bigger facility. Before you know it, you got two separate facilities, and it's becoming a little bit more awkward. The cost of of fitting a, this eighty thousand square foot facility, we we have growth of about forty percent more in boxes. So we took on a lot of empty space, and that financially is such a tough thing for a company to do. Yeah. And you really have to look at your numbers and say. Is the profitability strong enough to put yourself out that far? And I think uh, that decision came from we had a very, very, very strong tape base that provided the funds for us to grow and do that. But, boy, without that, Tom, how people start a records facility from nothing is tough. Because banks, you go to a bank for a loan, they make you sign your second child, your third child, and your fourth child. Even if you and don't even, have one. <laughs> even if you don't have any. And my goodness, I don't know who wants my children anyway. But, uh, oh, the banks make it tough. And we, we, we did it. You do some of it on a shoestring when you go that large. And you sign away you know, a lot of uh, guarantees to, to make this thing go ahead and do what we did. Yeah. Thinking about that, though, you obviously had a solid enough business to make that happen. But I want to go back to the three-partner thing because, you know, there's three of you involved in this business. And the the three-partner thing, for some, might seem like it's treacherous. There's many people I've talked to who have said, oh, partnership's crazy. I get the sense from talking to you that you have a very different opinion about it. Yes. I think from a three-owner standpoint, I've always told people, he said, can you do it? How did you do it? I think you go into business with people that are business partners, not friends, because you're a business first, and right. the friendship is created through all that you do. And so Dave, Doug, and I, that's why we knew each other. We have different circles. You know, by God, I'm an accountant. Who hangs with an accountant? And yeah, but you're we, a pretty cool accountant. <laughs> well, thank you, Tom. The... Uh, from that standpoint, from a business owner's standpoint, you run it as a, a business and you create then each of each of us has our strengths. Like Dave and Doug, you know, they're great at sales. They're great at logistics and their operational skills are, uh, I think, bar none. Well, my strengths have been, you know, from accounting, from strategy and operations. So you bring in different components right. and you say, this is why we are together because of the business strengths. Yes, we can be friends, but it's got to be the business aspect first. Right. And the other thing that we did on our side, each of us, when you start from ground up, we've all driven, we've all done rushes, we've all picked, we've all opened this place and closed. Right. We all have swept floors, we've cleaned, you know, we've all sat at the bank and begged for loans. <laughs> yeah. So I think, <laughs> so I think we've all kind of earned our stripes and the respect has come from that and uh let nobody look at dave or doug and tell me anything different because uh, i watched them earn their stripes too yeah this is a great business with great financial dynamic to it do you have some financial rules of thumb that you work from as you think about it and as you plan are there things that sort of are non-negotiable for you from a financial perspective as you manage the business Ah, good question. I would say too many people in this business look at it as a global number. What's their bottom line? Hmm. Um, 
And I think you need to break it into pieces and say, is your shred profitable, and how profitable is that? Is your record center profitable, and how profitable is that? Is your tape profitable, and how profitable? Then you go back a little deeper, and I love going deeper because I'm not counting on this one, is, okay, in the record center business, if it is profitable, what portions are not profitable? Okay, your storage is profitable. Is your services profitable? Right. And then, and I think services um, are break-even, maybe a little bit more, but it's not, your services are not your most profitable side of the business, so you've got to be careful how much you give away on your services. And then I warn people, okay, on your storage aspect, we know that we can store a box, I'm going to throw out a number, for 10 cents a box. And then the question is, why are you uh, charging 11 cents or 12 cents to the customer come in to get this big customer in? Well, because I'm making a penny on it on 40 or 50,000 boxes. And I tell them, you know what, you're going to use up your space, and then you're going to go have to rent some more space, and the market might be higher, and it changes your dynamic. So right. don't look for the little stuff and try to steal business from your competitor on a penny or two and barely make a margin. But people do that, and they really try to get too skinny. It's a business where you need to make a legitimate profit. Yeah. And don't, don't go after something big. And you know, just hurt yourself in the end, I believe. Well, it comes back to your whole concept of uh, as you've thought about going into a new facility and the the huge investment and you know putting up your fourth child to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, with you get that, and then you start putting in at you know at marginal profit, which which doesn't really set you up for the next expansion if that's going to be one the next time around because you you've got too little a profit on the shelf every month. Exactly, I had. My daughter came to me with a business idea one time said, Dad, this thing's great. I think I can just break even. It's a really neat thing. People are going to love it. I said, did you say break even? <laughs> yes, because I really don't want to make a lot of money. I just want to have a business that you know I'm proud of. And I said, in the end, if it's break even, it could be negative. You need to look and say it can weather the tough time. So break even's not good enough. And a lot of people look at it in this, in, in this business and say, you know, if I can just get this thing for a smidgen over break-even, I will be happy. Look what I got. I just stole a 40,000-box customer. Right. And I said, wow, that's not a way to look at it. Yeah. It's short-sighted in many ways. It's short-sighted. Yeah. And I think uh, we all know our, our profit margins, and we, some of us try to squeak it really low. And I think, no, make it good business. Yeah. A good businessman creates good business. Historically, this business has always seemed to produce, and, and I know in, in many cases we've looked to the public companies as the measuring stick for that, but mm-hmm. PRISM itself has done metrics, and you know, at one point, you know, if you were doing 30 or more profit, that seemed pretty good if you had been an established business. But you're, you're also saying that you're looking at it not just from the – you're taking each of your three main stools and breaking mm-hmm. those down and managing the, the profit differently in each of those because of the type of business they are. Yes. People don't do that. It's a global look. I, I'd say the bigger the company, the more they do that. I, right. I'm talking where I'm um, – coming into the mid-sized company, we've been doing that since the early days right. and knowing where we're getting hit. Where we're, for instance, I think in this business, people could say, if you take on a law firm, you know they're very heavy in services. 
Well, their goal is to really make services as low as they can. And if you said, oh, sure, we'll do that without knowing their uh, highly active customer, you now have a highly active customer at a very low profit, if maybe at a loss leader just to get their storage. Right. And a lot of times they know the storage rates too and, and go low on that. So you've cut your own throat. Right. In the long run. And, and in those cases, it's not worth it to you. It's not worth it. And a salesman that's working for you will want to bring it in and tell you how good they are. It takes an owner um, to say, you know what, we're not going to squeak by on that one. Right. Within the broader financial areas of the business, uh, there are critical issues like contracts, insurance. What areas do you particularly pay close attention to besides cash flow and profits? Okay. So I think being a three-headed monster, which makes us really good and effective, is some of us look closer at the HIPAA issues, and as they come in where that can really hit hard and cost us a lot of money. Right. And I think there's a great concern there. Um, if you aren't running a, a, a squeaky clean business and something comes in and broadsides you, there's, there's huge risk, financial risk. Yeah. I think uh, the other side looks at, okay, we're willing to spend a little bit more for employees because I think we reduce our risk by having an employee that's been around for three or four years than having turnover. Turnover is a high risk. Yeah. If you bring somebody new in, they're making mistakes, and you don't find out until they're gone. So I think having a little more expense in this area will reduce a great cost to you in the long run. Right. And that's a hard thing. For, I know some companies that pay a lot in salaries. They say, why are you doing that? And they say, well, we've got employees that have been around for a long time, and we're not concerned as much about squeaking that bottom line just a little bit more. I go, wow, that's a great idea keep an employee a little longer, especially if they're damn good. And I think in the long run, your bottom line will be better. Yeah. Because you're not going to get hit with some of these things. Yeah. And because that cost of, of training, that cost of downtime, that cost of looking for someone new can be a really difficult and a big financial implication. Big financial implication. Yeah. And I don't think people look at that. We have a lot of meetings with our employees and saying, you guys have got to do this process the, the right way. You've got to be you know, in front of the customer. Well, if you have new people, they don't hear that speech over and over and over again. Right. A new employee hears it for the first time, goes, what is that? What are they talking about? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of your uh, prior RIM reports have had people talking about customer service. Yeah. Well, you don't have customer, serv customer service if this employee hasn't heard your speech very much. Right. He's brand new, and he's just wondering if he's going to have a job tomorrow. Yeah. So these guys that we are employing, we've got a lot of long-term employees, and I think that creates less risk to us in the long run. Yeah. If you could go back when you and Dave started this thing years ago, and you could go back with all you know today, what would you do differently? What would you say to yourself? Be prepared for this. Do this. <laughs> that's before I started getting gray hair, and that's okay. Yeah. Ah, good question. Um, I think I would have started out with more money. I, I definitely, uh, you know, in the early days, Tom, you were broke. Starting this thing up from scratch was long hours. We closed up every night at 7 o'clock. Dave and I would look at each other going, are we done yet? <laughs> um, you know, get your spouse ready for the long run here. Um, I think, you know, one of us, Dave and I, one of us got divorced and it wasn't Dave. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. 
So I think, you know, to do differently, thank God I didn't know what was uh, what was coming down the pike. Yeah. Because I, I think at 33, I was idealistic. I could do it. I think at 33, I think I had gone through the school of hard knocks in the 20s and said, boy, I know everything. Yeah. And you're a little more tired. You're raising kids. I'm sure glad I didn't know what I know now. <laughs> that That's an interesting point, though, going back. And if you could at the beginning, if you knew, man, we, we might have shaved three years off of our learning curve if we had got a little bit more investment or something like that. Um, that those those kind of things can often transition the way you think about it because you go into to bigger next steps prepared for that kind of knowledge that you, you learned along the way, I think. I, I, I think you're right. Um, I know in the early days when you don't have money and you're, you're absolutely feeling poor, you definitely hustle and push harder. Yep. And then later on when we moved, this giant move down here that we just made, just the numbers are bigger. Yeah. And, you know, you, you find after you finish the move, you put a lot of money out. I think Dave and Doug would agree we're just as hungry now because we just put a lot of money out for this move and, and the investment in the vault and the investment in the new facility and a lot of empty floor, floor space. I think that ratcheted up the hunger again. Yeah. And see it in their eyes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. But if somebody comes to you and they're about to get into the business, what advice are you giving them from your perspective? I would say that they're getting into a very good business. Go in with a lot of integrity, go in with a lot of money, go in with a lot of ideals. Have I always tell everybody, have a good business plan. Yeah. Have a very good business plan. I'm always shocked how many people don't have a good business plan. And revise your business plan as you go. Always look at your competitive advantages. And a competitive advantage is not that I think I can get that box in here for a cheaper price. Right. Your competitive advantage is, like in our group, is my other two owners are a competitive advantage. I think the facility we're going into is a competitive advantage. So take a look at somebody starting. What can you bring in that is different? Who are you bringing with you that is different? And, you know, really look at that uh, sharply and then run with it. Yeah. And, and I think from a standpoint, you'll always have a local business and you'll always have the, the Giants and both have a place in this playing field. So no, as a, as a small to mid-sized company here, we, we do have some advantage that the big boy doesn't. Right. And so that a little person coming in that just started it off, know those advantages. That's what's kind of fun about it is is watching so many new businesses come in, coming in with different perspectives. So many companies came into this space differently even than you came in from the moving and storage side or the warehousing or self-storage. You guys came in from, from the tape side of the business. Uh, so you brought some unique perspective, but it's always kind of interesting to watch, you know, every year at, at say the prism conference or the Nade conference. And you start watching where people are coming from. And it's, it's very interesting to see that there is still opportunity, obviously in the marketplace or these companies wouldn't be showing up. Exactly. And, and I, I always espouse prism, go to the prism meeting and start asking questions and find somebody who gets up there and has just given a great speech and go up and ask, How'd you do it? And how can I do it? And some say, well, I had a lot of money or I got handed down. And as others said, I started from grassroots. Yeah. Then ask the person what were some of the tough steps. Yeah. A lot of people, Tom, that are out there helping um, 
other people to start. No. I don't think there's any fear of competition in this business. No, uh, it's it's a great industry for that, and, and it's always been that way, and that's what I'm so appreciative about people like you being willing to actually share your story on this show because it really helps other people to to find a way uh, to clear a path sometimes to give an idea that helps them get better. I have a little startup story that yeah. I, could be of interest. Yeah. You know, we started this business not as data site. Okay. And uh, our, our company name was Safe Site. Safe Site. About our second, Safe Site. Yeah. In our second year of operation, a big outfit from the East came in, and their name was Safe Site of Boston, and they were moving into town. And they called us up. They took Dave and I out for a nice round of golf. They wined and dined us. They gave us a great limousine ride. And then, just as they let us out of the limousine, they said, oh, by the way, you may have the rights to safe site, but they were bigger and we were poor. And they said, you know, the legal cost alone would probably bankrupt us. So we did what any other company probably would have done. We just changed our name and we've grown. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that. That's kinda cool. I I thought you guys were data site from the beginning, but you were safe site until somebody sort of threatened you with lawsuits. Yep. That's hilarious. And, and they knew they, they, they said they probably wouldn't even win the lawsuit. <laughs> but we would run out of money. Right. Wow. Wow. Well, well, since then they got bought out, and we're still here. And you're so. still here and going stronger, and, and apparently the the largest fire log vault in the world. Yes. <laughs> Let the Gregs know that in the Midwest. Right. Personal question: What do you do when you've got a day off and you can do anything you want to do, and you don't have to worry about the the store, you don't have to worry about the fault, you don't have to worry about your staff, and you can go do anything you want? What do you love to do? Oh, that's easy. I love to ski. I, I was uh, on the ski patrol for many, many years, and that's how I met my, my current wife is on ski patrol, and we love to ski. In the Northwest, we've got all the snow this year. Yeah. It's uh, from Whistler to uh, Crystal Mountain to Mount Baker. Uh, the Northwest really got dumped on. I, I watched the snow reports, and I think you're down in California. There were mammoths just crying for snow. Yeah, apparently you guys won this year, so so congratulations oh. on that, on the snow. Well, man, it's been great talking to you. It's been great catching up and, and hearing your perspective on the the growth and the, the evolution of DataSite and all the cool stuff that's happened and continued success in what you guys are doing. It's a pleasure knowing you guys and watching you, and uh, I'm cheering for you. So thanks again for being on the show. Tom, it was an honor. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for being with us on the show today. Special thanks to Dale for spending some time with us as well. I always appreciate the guests that come on the show who are willing to share with us their time, their experience, their perspectives. And today I'm especially grateful to Dale. Special thanks again, too, to our exclusive sponsor, O'Neill Software. O'Neill provides regional coverage and support for more than a thousand clients in the Americas, Europe, Middle East, Africa, as well as throughout the Asia Pacific region. As their clients will attest to, they have reliable software and a team of experts dedicated to keeping it that way. They have the premium kind of technical support and customer service you can count on. You can learn more about them at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for us. Have yourself a wonderful week. Make some cool things happen. We are out of here. 
Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.